Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we heard the story of the man born blind. Um, just to quickly recap, this is a, in some sense an unusual story. No one brings the blind, the blind man to Jesus. Jesus is walking along and he sees him and then there's a question asked and the question is, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? And so in some sense this miracle that we see is a response to a question. And um, I'll talk about that as we go. But so just to continue, he sees the blind man, he puts clay on his eyes, tells the blind man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and he receives his sight. It's interesting that actually he doesn't actually see Jesus until the very end of the story. So just an interesting thing in this, he's blind at the beginning. He doesn't see immediately. He goes to the pool of Siloam without ever seeing Jesus. He's only heard him say to go. He washes his eyes. He sees. And then after that, there's a series of conversations that he has. He has conversations with the people um, who, who knew him or know him. And they're all saying, what happened? His eyes are open. You know, is it the same guy? And he's saying, yes, it's me, it's me. And they're not really listening to him. And finally they say, well, we'd better take him to the Pharisees. So they go to the Pharisees and it's the same story. Not the same story, it's kind of worse in a way. The Pharisees are saying, who opened your eyes? And this happened on the Sabbath, so of course they're upset, you know, because they don't like things being done on the Sabbath. And the kind of, it goes downhill a little bit from there because and I'll talk about this a little bit later, as the story goes along, the Pharisees became even more staunch in their kind of position that, you know, Jesus is a sinner and, you know, you're a sinner as well. So we'll talk about this as we go along. The overall kind of story here is about blindness, okay, the kinds of blindness that people can have. But there's also, and I want to talk about this in some detail because it's a, it's a fundamental thing but very important, the story brings us back to creation as well. We see that this man who's born blind, many commentators say that he actually had no eyes. He was born without eyes. And so this is not just a miracle of restoration of sight. This is a miracle of the creation of new eyes, the creation of sight. And that's something that even the, the blind man says um, to the Pharisees, this has never been heard of in the his whole history of the world, that someone has been born blind and then had their eyes created. And the image I want you to have here is that you have Jesus standing in front of this blind man, and Jesus is the one who was in the beginning there creating all things, and his creature is in front of him. And he's fixing, or he's making, what nature had failed to provide in that person. What is it about this image of creation I want to bring out? Um, St. Paul says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. This is Colossians 1.15. What does it mean that he's the image of the invisible God? St. John says it all through his gospel. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says it so many times in so many different ways. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God. And so to see him is to see God. But it's more than that. He is the image of the invisible God. When it says in Genesis that we are created in God's image, what does that mean? We are created in the image of the image. The image with a capital I, that is Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, and we are made in his image. He's the prototype. It's, interesting. it's funny to think about because we think Christ came into the world 
at a particular historical time. But our church says that Jesus was there in the beginning creating all things. And we're actually made in the image of Christ as the prototype. So just like a potter uses clay and creates something from a model, maybe has a photograph or something, and he's making something from a model, Jesus, well, God made us in the image of Christ. What this means is that all the things that we see as being uniquely human in us, reason, um, wisdom, the ability to become, uh, you know, have excellent character, all of these kind of things we think about as uniquely human, we have those things because Christ has them in the perfect degree. We derive everything that we are from the original, from Christ. This also means that we have within us a particular kind of drive. And that drive, because we are made in the image and Christ is the kind of prototype, we have this drive within us to become like him. It's, it's part of our nature, it's part of human nature to become like Christ. We can deny it, we can ignore it, we can try to go the other way, but it's there. So when we say, when our church says, or when people say, people have this innate desire to know God, that's what they're talking about. Because we're made in God's image and Christ is the image of God, we have this desire to be like him. And all of those things, that all of those attributes that Christ has, we have them in potentiality as an image. But to be realised, we need to do work and we need to see them, to see them fulfilled okay, and become Christ-like. So this is the kind of image I want you to have about creation because what it tells us about human beings is we have immense dignity as human beings. Every single human being has immense dignity as a creature of God. We're not just made... We weren't just a side project that somehow there was a thought and we were made. No, we are made in the image of God. We are made to become like Christ. Okay? So it's important in this story because the blind man is certainly not treated that way. The blind man in the story is treated as an outcast. Um, he, he was an outcast. In being blind in that society meant... First off, that most people thought you were blind because you did something wrong. Um, the disciples say this, right? Did, was he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? In that society, if you had some major physical problem, that usually was attributed to either your sin or your parents' sin. Okay? So in that sense, he's a bit of an outcast, so he has to beg. Um, apart from the actual physical disability, he has to beg anyway, but you know, he's looked down upon. And we also see from the Pharisees that not only is he looked down upon um, for his physical disability, but they see him as being much less because he um, is not completely fulfilling the law according to their standards. So there's a couple of reasons why he's looked down on by pretty much everybody around. Um, and so the reason why I talked about creation being made in the image of God is because that dignity that we have, of course the blind man also has. And we can never forget that every single person that we meet has that same dignity. It doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. It doesn't matter where they come from, what they look like, or anything else. Every single person should be afforded the, afforded the, the dignity of being made in the image of God. Um, so very important and foundational thing. And we see it in this story. The blind man is not treated in that way, but Christ treats him that way. And that's the image that we need to take away from this, is that 
The way that Christ treats people is the way that we ought to be treating other people as well. It doesn't matter who they are. Okay, so I've skipped a whole lot of things here and probably not touched this at all. Uh, I just wanted to... There's, there's a good quote. St. John Chrysostom, I don't know if he said this, but it's at least attributed to him. If you cannot find Christ in the beggar at the door of the church, you will not find him in the chalice. Okay? Um, that's just what I've been saying. If you can't see Christ, if you can't see the image of Christ in the people around you, including the people that you don't even want to look at, if you can't see the image of Christ there, you will not find him in the chalice. Christ is in everybody's... He's the image. We're all made in, in that image. So... It doesn't matter who, who it is. There's always some chance that we could see in somebody, doesn't matter who they are, some revelation of God. God being revealed in that person. And we always need to have our eyes open to that. The Pharisees in this story do not. They look down on him and whatever. They're very prideful. And that pride completely blinds them, even to the possibility of seeing God doing something miraculous and wonderful here. They cannot attribute what has happened to the blind man to God because of stupid things, like it happened on the Sabbath and because, you know, you're a, you're a guy who doesn't follow the law completely or whatever. They, they reject the possibility of being enlightened, and this story is also about light. This whole passage in St. John is about Jesus being the light of the world. They reject that possibility of even seeing, being enlightened in any way because of pride and because of then failing to actually see the blindness destroys their ability to see. That's one, one type of blindness that we see here. Another type of blindness is that of the disciples because at the beginning they say, well, who sinned, this man or his, or his parents, that he's blind? And Jesus says, neither of them. It's that the, the works of God might be made manifest um, in this man. What's, what's Jesus getting at here? Well, he's not saying that... Um, that God made the man blind. He's not saying that, all right? So that, so that later on, you know, God made the man blind so that Jesus would come along and heal him and then everyone see this great miracle. He's just talking about a fact of reality. In this fallen world, sin and death reign and corruption. And so these types of things happen in the world, right? We have disability. We have all kinds of things are wrong. And... It's not, that, it's not that the individual necessarily sinned or their parents sinned. This is just the fallen nature of the world. And so um, we need to understand. It's just like in, jo- in Job's... You know, remember the Job, the story of Job. Um, Job is a very wealthy man and then in, in the story suffers in a short succession, complete devastation. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. He ends up with a terrible disease sitting on a dung, dung heap and scraping, scraping himself with pottery shards. And his, his so-called friends come along and say, what did you do? What did you do wrong? What is it that you did? You must have done something wrong. And this is repeated again and again and again and again in the story. What did you do wrong? Job didn't do anything wrong in the story. And we're never given the resolution. But we need to understand that God is a merciful God and despite the fact that the world is the way it is. Um, He loves us and is going to do whatever is required to do to save us. That could be physical healing, perhaps. It could be any kind of other type of miracle. But for the most part, God is actually to save... Jesus came to save our souls. He came to prepare us or make a way for us to live with him 
in eternity. This life will pass, and all of the struggles and the sufferings of this life will also pass. And so the most important thing for us to understand is that whatever happens in this world, and all kinds of terrible things happen, whatever situation we may find ourselves in, even though we do suffer, it's not always... I mean, Subdeacon Timothy also talked about this. There are different types of suffering. We suffer for different reasons. But our suffering is, in general, we should think of it as being part of our salvation, okay, in some way. That may be that we need to grow in some direction or, we need, or, or whatever it happens to be. But suffering is not always... Um, it's a bad thing, but it shouldn't be taken necessarily that way if we look at it from the point of view of becoming Christ-like. Anything bad, anything terrible that happens in our lives can, through the grace of God, become something that helps us on the path of salvation. So this type of blindness is sort of ignorance or misunderstanding. Ignorance of how the world is or misunderstanding of God or human beings or other things. So these kind of misunderstandings blind us to reality. They blind us to how um, we really ought to be thinking and talking about other people and about God. So... Um, one thing I wanted to bring out just finally in this last, just this last little bit is the way that the blind man, the way that he changes as he goes through the story. And we can see this in the way that he talks about Jesus. The very first time um, that he actually says anything at all is uh, when he's asked, you know, who did this? And the first thing that he says is um, the man Jesus. Do you remember in the story? He says, the man Jesus did this. What's the next thing that he says? The Pharisees say to him, "Um, so who do you say that this person is who did this? He says, he's a prophet. So he goes from saying he's the man Jesus to saying he's a prophet. Okay. Um, What's the next thing that he says? The next thing he says, so he's going along and they start saying, well, you know, this man, Jesus is a sinner and all this kind of thing. And then then they say, well, we don't know where Jesus is from. And he says, oh, it's a marvel. You don't know where he's from, but he healed my eyes. He says, um, what does he say? If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. So he's gone from this man, Jesus, to a prophet, to if this man was not from God, he could do nothing. The next time he talks is when Jesus is... Actually, Jesus comes and finds him because he's been kicked out of the sin. He's been kicked out. He's been kind of cast out from wherever he was before. And Jesus finds him and he says, you know, do you want to believe, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, Lord, I believe. So he's gone from, he's gone from this, man, this man Jesus to a prophet to saying, if this man wasn't from God, he could do nothing, to Lord, I believe, and actually worshipping him. That's one story. That goes through that story. We see that how he changes as he goes through. But we also see the opposite process. We see with the Pharisees. At the beginning, there's a, there's a dissension between them. Some say, oh, this, the, the guy's a sinner because he does this on the Sabbath. The others say, well, yeah, but how could he do this, do this if he wasn't from God? So there's a, there's a kind of dissension between them. The next time we hear them say anything, they say, we know this man is a sinner. Okay? And then the final time they say, We know God's spoken to Moses, but we don't know where this guy's from. So their journey is a downhill journey into deeper blindness as they go. They go from kind of not really knowing to saying, no, he's a sinner, to saying, yeah, well, we we know 
God's spoken to us through Moses, but this guy, we don't know where he's from. Okay? So we see the two opposite processes. There's, um, Kathleen Rushton wrote this. The two journeys go in opposite directions. Whereas supposed ignorance of the law, which is the blind man was supposed to be ignorance of the law, leads to Jesus, presumed knowledge of the law blocks recognition of Jesus. The man's coming to understanding happens in a process of confession, rebuke, and stubbornly continued confession. So we see this in the story. How do we, how do we come out of, this, out of different types of blindness? The first thing we notice about that is obedience. This man, Jesus, finds him. There's no prior anything. Jesus sees him, puts some clay on his eyes and says, go and wash in the, the pool of Siloam, and he does it. How many people would do that? How many people, if someone came up to you and put, and you, you know, maybe just pretend that you're blind for a moment, they, they put clay on your eyes and said, go and wash in some pool close by, how many of you would actually do it? I would be very reluctant to follow the directions of some person who came up to me and put clay on my eyes and said, go and wash in a pool somewhere. Okay, so this is, he, he, but he does it. He's, he's obedient to this call. Um, the next thing that we see about the man is that he is, he reflects on what's happened to him. He reflects on his life, the, the miracle that's happened, he reflects on it, and he, that's when he says that he believes that Jesus is a prophet. Because only prophets do these kind of things, so he reflects on it. He's then challenged. He's challenged in his belief. He's not just a prophet, this guy's a sinner, you know. This actually, guys, Jesus is actually a sinner. What, what are you talking about? As he's challenged, he begins to see more and more. He's saying, no, he, has to, he must be from God. How could anybody who's not from God do this? Okay, and finally it ends up in belief. So the same story for us. We need to be obedient. Obedient to what the church says, even when we don't really understand everything. And we don't understand much. So we need to be obedient. We need to do what the church says. Confession, almsgiving, fasting, the Eucharist, scripture reading, prayer, all those kind of things. We need to be obedient and do those things. But from time to time, we're going to be challenged and we need to reflect on our, the teachings of the church and our own life. We need to reflect on those things and try and understand more and more about our faith and what's happening um, to the truths that we are, with the truth that we are told in our, in our church. As we do that, God will help us to understand and enlighten us. And so, I mean, ultimately, what we really want to be able to do is to see Christ. Whether we see Christ in this life, some people do. Some people see Christ. St. Siloan saw Christ. There are many stories in the lives of the saints of people who saw Christ. So we may see Christ, but definitely we're going to see him in the life to come. So the, the, the whole purpose of, of everything, of our eyes being opened and our blindness being uh, healed, is that ultimately we can see Christ. Not just Christ, of course, in glory, but Christ in all of the people around us so that we know, we can see as we relate to other people, we relate to them in a godlike way and we draw them closer to God because we see in them, we see, that, we see something in them that's Christ-like and we can draw, we can draw them to, to God through that. So may God help us to have our own eyes healed and to live in a way which uh, is ever more open to the, to the uh, ability to see uh, Christ, God in creation, in the whole world, and also in other people around us.
Cristo we 